0: There and welcome to Marking the Role, a podcast for teachers. We're based in the Illawarra area of Australia on the east coast, but we're really for teachers uh, all over Australia and even the world. My name is Phil Dye. I'm your host, and today we are looking at uh, the New South Wales state uh, election. Uh, Now, I know that people from other states, teachers from other states, will be saying, oh, well, this is not relevant to us. Well, I think you'll find that it is because whatever happens in New South Wales over the next couple of weeks could also happen with any state in Australia. Now, for this particular episode, I've asked all of the leading contenders uh, for interviews. I've asked Sarah Mitchell from the Liberal National Party for an interview several times. I'd say about seven times and I have sent her the questions. No response. I've asked Prue Carr, the Shadow Minister for Education in New South Wales, for an interview the same amount of times and I've sent her the same questions. No response. Now, I managed to to ask... A friend of mine has a daughter who works um, in a state parliament, not New South Wales, and I asked her why this would be. There, there's absolutely no response. And the answer was fairly uh, enlightening. The answer was because uh, the listeners to this podcast know a lot more about the education system than any politician would. And any mistake or any uh, light answer will be certainly understood by that group, the listeners, and they would sound silly. So while it's okay for them to go on channel nine, channel seven, channel 10, go on the ABC and talk generally about education, they won't talk on uh, programs or podcasts where uh, the listener, i.e. you, uh, know more about the topic than they do because they'll end up looking silly. Um, So I had no response from the Liberal National Party in Sarah Mitchell. I had no response from Prue Carr or Chris Minns. I did have response from the Public Education Party. This party is uh, fairly newly set up, operates Uh, with candidates in New South Wales at the moment, but we'll be looking uh, to have candidates Australia-wide in different state elections and probably federal elections in the future. Um, It certainly has the interests of public education at heart. And the wonderful thing is these are not career bureaucrats. These are teachers. These are people with uh, skin in the game who understand what is happening in education. So I have managed to speak to Cheryl McBride, one of the candidates for that for the Public Education Party. But before we get into that interview, um, it is the day when the Sydney Morning Herald have come out with a story that more principals and teachers are being abused by uh, students and by parents. It found that New South Wales principals were were receiving threats of violence, but. Uh, the actual violence against school principals uh, has doubled from 20% of principals who had experienced violence up to 43.9%. So um, things are looking pretty dire for New South Wales and indeed Australian education when principals are receiving threats and being at the... um, the end of abuse from students and parents. Now, it's not just um, principals, it's other teachers as well. Uh, and there was a um, Australian Catholic University investigator, Dr. Paul Kidson, who said that the increase in violence coincided with students returning to physical school after the pandemic. Well, you can't blame the pandemic on everything. You know, it might have had something to do with it, but really it is a breakdown in society uh, that is um, at the core of it, um, especially when you, you have not just students, but you have parents abusing the, uh, the principals and the teachers as well. So it's been a fairly fairly busy week. And as I mentioned to my guest towards the end of the interview, I have heard on the grapevine that the idea of class action uh, with principals joining together to form class action against the New South Wales Department of Education for their lack of attention to the amount of abuse uh, that principals are suffering. But now for the interview with the Public Education Party with Cheryl McBride. And I'm delighted to have um, Cheryl on the on this episode because, as you'll find out, she's a straight talker. And if she represents all of the candidates for the Public Education Party, uh, then uh, it's a, a great uh, sigh of relief that people can actually speak and speak openly. Now, Cheryl admits that she's not the lead candidate. Khalil Kay is the lead candidate, but cannot speak openly because he's still a headmaster employed by the New South Wales Department of Education. So I decided not to speak to him because um, he can't speak about the nitty gritty and the detail, but Cheryl can. She's a number two candidate and uh, she's an ex-principal from the Department of Education. And I asked her, as I do with all my guests, to take us through her education and teaching history.
1: Sure. Um Well, um, I think I was born into the golden era where children went to local public school um, and attended with the the doctor's children, the greengrocer's children, everybody in our community except for a few um, children who were Catholic um, went to public schools. Um, So I went to uh, Beverly Hills North School as as a young child and then on to Beverly Hills Girls High School. And then finishing high school, I applied for and was awarded a teaching scholarship um, to a brand new, well, not the time actually, <laughs> to Sydney University. Um, but then I had some friends who uh, talked me into changing my scholarship to do primary teaching at Melpera um, College of Advanced Education, which is now, of course, the um, University of Western Sydney. Um so um that was the beginning of my tertiary education then I went on to do a graduate diploma in remedial, remedial education a master's degree in education and then finally a law degree um uh from Macquarie University. So um I was definitely in the golden era where um there were no hex fees um in fact supported by scholarship to get through my first um, part of university.
0: And how many years did you spend in the classroom?
1: Um, gosh. Teaching. Nobody's asked me that for a long time. Um, I have to work it out. Um, I started when I was 20 uh, and I was a principal when I was 33. So 13. Right, okay. 13 years. 13.
0: Yep, okay. So um, why has public education become so eroded over the, the past 20 years or so. I mean, I, I grew up in the same time as you did, I think, in that golden age.
1: <laughs> we didn't um, know it then, did but, we?
0: <laughs> no, we didn't know it yet then. But then I look back at my teachers. My music teacher was the great Richard Gill. Mm. Um, and, you know, I had fantastic teachers. But what has changed to, to make this decline?
1: Look, there are so many um, levers, I think, that have added to it. But you've touched on one. Um, that I think is, is highly important. And that is the gradual erosion of attracting quality, intelligent, um, people who've got, you know, good personal skills into teaching. It has become, um, a profession of, you know, last choice in many ways. Um, mm. uh, and I think when, when, when we were going through, uh, to get a college scholarship, um, you had to, um, Achieve in the HSC, you had to achieve marks that were as good as anybody going into um, economics uh, or commerce or um, I'm just trying to think of some of the other yeah professions. or business
0: or psychology yes. any of those yes yeah
1: yeah so you had to be sort of um, you know performing in that 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 higher level and if you didn't get a scholarship I just don't think you went <laughs> it just mm, didn't no happen. I don't think you did um, so. Yeah um and i'm even thinking of older older you know people that i've worked with you know they they were the top echelon of academic kids that went through school yeah. and so yeah you, you know as well as i do that um that, um, you know, teaching requires not only, you know, great relationship building with children, great rapport with children, but it also requires a high academic or intellectual level to be able to interpret curriculum, um, to apply it to the, the, you know, the vast majority, not the majority, the vast uh, variety of kids uh, and their learning styles, their ability levels, etc. To be able to do that, mm. you have to have a good intellect, and I think you Most know we've gradually, we you know, the the marks have become lower and lower and lower. And look, I don't want to be you know, a, you know, a doomsday person, but um, that seems to be you know, there's a big group of people in that now. Uh, you know, thankfully, there are some great people too coming through, but they're people who have you know an absolute vocation and love of children, etc. It's almost yes. as if
0: and they want to make a difference, don't they, Cheryl?
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I think yeah, I think that um, that gradual erosion of you know the, the high requirement for intellectual capacity has yeah, yes yeah it's gone
0: backwards. So yeah, so so some universities have uh, such a, a low ATAR, Tar or a fifty. Fifty-five. Pathetic. That you think. Sorry. Good heavens! Wh- why haven't they put it up to ninety, uh, so that we can attract great teachers? But then the other thing is that um, people want good wages when they do go into it. Now, do you think salary has had played a part in the decline? Of
1: course, of course. Um, uh, changes to superannuation as well, um, uh, which you know goes in. I guess that whole um, uh, global aspect of salary. Um, you know, the superannuation scheme in the old days was very attractive, um, you know, so that in the long term, you know, teachers, teachers, you know, could, could support themselves very well when they retired. You know, we are, as a profession, uh, if we're relying solely on our income, would be unable to live in many, many parts of, of Sydney. We just wouldn 't be able to afford it that 's the end of the story um, and and young people are you know they're working enormous hours that i don 't think they've ever worked harder than they are now, um, but you know for lesser reward uh, in terms of real salary and um and I think you know your salary also reflects something of the um the value that society finds in you, or the government finds in you, you know, if if you're yeah, the respect, yeah, exactly. Thank you. Uh, it, it's a, it's a respectful um, acknowledgement of the work that's required.
0: So we've got okay. So we're not producing graduates. We're not uh, attracting quality students into education courses, into teacher training courses. The salary is not enough to attract top-quality students. But what about the, the funding and, and resources? In other words, the government attention to schools.
1: You know, successive governments have, have eroded, you know, the, the, the resourcing to schools and, um, you know, the media will tout on about, oh, um, you know, schools are better resources, more money in education than we've ever put in before, blah, blah, blah. Um, but the bottom line is the dollar doesn't spe- <laughs> doesn't go as far. And um, and the requirements now in terms of technology are huge for schools. So not just the actual you know laptops and iPads etc., but you know internet connection. And there are any number of schools where internet connection is, is not up to scratch. It falls out. You know teachers will be in the middle of a, a lesson. It falls out. It comes back et etc. Cetera, et cetera.
0: So look, we've we've got these three things. We've got these three things, Cheryl. We've got we've got quality students, we've got salary, we've got resources in schools. How would the public education party address those things?
1: Well, I think um, it's time that there was uh, a, an educated, experienced school leader in the parliament to actually um negate some of the the gobbledygook and nonsense that comes from parliament, some parliamentarians who are intent on um praising the the private independent system uh and denigrating uh the public system uh, we need somebody to combat that you know some you know i i i'm horrified by some of the statements that come out that actually um, reduce the confidence of, of parents and families and community about what we're teaching in schools.
0: So they confuse us with gobbledygook and, and catchphrases. They don't really know what they're talking about. They, they, they talk rubbish in many Absolutely. ways. And everyone nods their head and says, oh, yes, 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 that's great. But no one really knows what's going on in the schools.
1: Correct, correct. And, um, you know, if we get our candidate up, um, he's a, a practising principal. Um, and has worked in the bureaucracy and uh, very experienced. So he knows things <laughs> that most people don't. Um, he knows and we things need, good. Yeah, we need somebody in there at estimates, budget estimates also, to hold um, the bureaucracy accountable um, uh, because sometimes they try to get away with, again, nonsense and gobbledygook about, you know, for example, every every class has a qualified teacher. Yeah, but the math the mass class over there has got an art teacher teaching them, or the science class has got a primary school teacher teaching them. You know, like subject specific. You know, let's let's get down to nitty gritty and really look at what is happening in the public system. Compare it to the wealthy elite schools, expensive schools, um, who are who are you know investing money regularly so that they can supply a water polo pool or, a, you know, a grandstand in their, um, you know, sporting facilities. I mean, we're Australians for God's sakes so and we've got some kids who, who have, you know, next to nothing and, and are not being provided an equal platform in, through public education, which we have had in the past. It's just wrong and we need someone to really focus on that, somebody with uh, credibility knowledge
0: um we'd need more than one person wouldn't we we'd need we'd need several people oh my
1: god we'd love we'd love half a dozen that would be great
0: yeah exactly right we've got to hold them to account
1: we're all educators or parents or community members who've been concerned about this many of us have been advocates through our professional associations in the past and nobody seems to be achieving a great deal in public education anywhere anywhere so it's it's time
0: Australia now is ranked in the last four, I think in the world when it comes to student behaviour. And student behaviour ranks above salary according to our research on why teachers in the public system are leaving leaving the profession. So what could be done um, to address this thing like student behaviour?
1: look it's a really tough one and and um, i think um, you know society generally is looking at at, at some of our kids um, with great disdain and, and disbelief that you know that they can display the behaviors that they do but first of all i'd like to say they are in the minority but you know we do have children who have you know neurological disorders um etc who are not receiving support uh, and that costs money, you know. For goodness' sake, our school counselling service is ridiculously thin. Um, you know, I've I've taught in. I, I remember one year when I was at a very hard school in a large public housing estate, and we couldn't attract a full time counsellor. So we had sixteen, one six, sixteen counsellors in one year. So you can imagine the lack of continuity, the lack of programming that that went into. Into those children, those most vulnerable children that needed it. So, um, and there are some kids who should not be in a mainstream class because they need specialist teaching. They need specialist teaching. They need some of them need to have small classes within a, within a mainstream school. Some children with disabilities need a special school. Like, you know, it's not rocket science.
0: Cheryl, this is, this is a point that, that this um, podcast has been on about several times. Um, when when I was at school and when I first started teaching, and perhaps you as well, we didn't have the extent of behaviour problems. No. Because a lot of these kids with neurological problems, with, with, with differences were in special schools, um, where they had special attention and we didn't see it. But now with the inclusion policies um, being so broad that these students are in the mainstream classes and they are seen and they are disrupting other students' um, education and sure it's it's wonderful most dis- disabled kids can be in a classroom but sure. but yeah. some can't absolutely. some simply can't so would you be raising that as an issue if if you get into um into the upper or the lower house
1: absolutely Absolutely, and and it, and it's very high on the agenda. And I guess from a personal perspective, I'm a special educator, um, and uh, that's my, that's my background. I taught children with disabilities uh, for for years when I was a young teacher, um, and then I've always had I've um, I've been principal at four large schools um, in Sydney Southwest, um, and we've always had um, special education units there. Uh, and, and look, I see that as the absolute premium uh for a child with disabilities or for most children with disability um so uh you know huge advantage uh, so the last school i was at was smithfield we have you know, eight or nine classes there for you know There's one class um actually there were two classes for the children in kindy um who had autism you know not an intellectual disability but autism and um those children, uh, you know, many of whom were very difficult to manage initially, um, uh, and had been difficult for, for mum and dad, uh, came into our unit, they would be in a small class of seven students with a special educator and a full time school learning support officer. And then they would come into kindergarten for music and PE and they would join us for all of those things. So by the time many of those kids were in year two You know, we gradually transitioned them into into classes as they showed, you know, aptitude for reading or maths or whatever else. But you too, a lot of those kids were effectively uh, included in the mainstream classroom and doing perfectly well. Now, how many kids don't get that opportunity?
0: But there'd be some kids who still weren't able to go back into the classroom and could be could be maintained in that special setting um, and have that special attention.
1: Correct. Correct. And and look, it's not parents, you know, I mean, some, you, you do have the occasional parent who just wants their child to be mainstream because, you know, they're in denial about, you know, whatever problem their kid has. Um, and that's more the parent problem than the child problem. But you've got the large majority of parents um, who do have a child with, um, you know, a significant disability who want them to be in a special school where they have all the resources, you know, the hydrotherapy pools, they've got the specialist teachers, Uh, Low low numbers, they've got playgrounds that are safe for them and we can't get them in because there's just not an opportunity there and that is money. That is money. Um, And it's a disgrace, an absolute disgrace. I do believe, you know, oh, well, inclusion, inclusion, inclusion's better. No, it's not. Not for a child with with significant disabilities sitting at the back of a classroom with a teacher's aide or a school learning support officer. Not engaging in the curriculum, not engaging with other children, not effectively being taught. That cheats that child and that's unacceptable.
0: Wow, Cheryl McBride is a straight talker. How often do you hear politicians or bureaucrats? speaking that directly it's a breath of fresh air we're going to have a brain break now and the brain break is going to be from a band called the water runners from the south coast from the Illawarra region um, a bit of a favorite here on marking the role we had uh, them play in the in the first season and the third season so um, and here's the third track and this is called Eureka the water runners
2: Wow I work for the Eureka Mine Breaking stone For the South Coast Railway Line Blow crew in the quarry working down below. All at once, my world turned black. Landed in the rubble, flat on my back. Broken bodies, broken bones. Everyone covered in dust and stone. I work for. Six men main. another dark later in a world of pain. Sounded the blast heard round the town, Wives and families started gathering round. I cannot forget that sight, Scrambling through the rubble for signs of life. Can't forget those cries and moans, for oh, the sons and the fathers not coming home. I work for you. Don't pull the south coastline. Turn back time I would gladly trade their lives for mine I won't go back to that Eureka mine I'm gonna lay me down On the south coastline I won't go back to that Eureka mine I'm gonna lay me down On the south coastline Wow
0: That was the Water Runners with their uh, single Eureka. You can find them on Spotify or any of the streaming services. Just search for the Water Runners. Now we're back to the interview with Cheryl McBride, a candidate for the Public Education Party in the New South Wales state election. And if you're from interstate, uh, the Public Education Party will also be trying to get candidates in nearly every state election, and no doubt they could look federally as well. Cheryl talks very straightforward, uh, doesn't pull any punches, that's how it is, uh, and it's great to hear that, uh, and not the weasel words often um, heard from the mouths of our leading politicians. Here's the rest of the interview with Cheryl McBride. Now, Let's get down to the nitty-gritty here. You've got candidates in the upper and lower house. Uh, for listeners um, who might be nodding their head and saying, geez, this is a, this, they're straight talkers, um, let's look at the lower house candidates first. And this is the tablecloth candidates. No,
1: no, is no, it? other way around. Other,
0: other, way, ones, other yeah. way around. Ah, okay. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, the yeah. tablecloth candidates in the very long bit of paper is the upper house. Correct. Okay, who have we got?
1: We have 17 there. Um, Khalil Kay is our number one candidate. He's our greatest hope of getting into the upper house. Um, As I mentioned before, long-term principal, uh, worked in a number of different schools, worked in the bureaucracy, intellect (laughs) unlimited, um, very, very articulate and capable. Um, I'm number two candidate, Cheryl McBride, also um, yeah, we've well, heard a bit about my background, so I've been around for a long time and taught for a long time in different schools, most, well, most, well no, I'm not even going to say most, all my, all my career in the disadvantaged areas. Um, we have a number of other other um, candidates who are teachers, ex principals, again, knowledgeable people, um, teachers, um, and of course, we've got some community members who've been strongly associated with schools for a long period of time.
0: Okay. To vote for the party, you, you wouldn't actually list and, and put the numbers. You know, one to 20, one to seventeen. You just put a number one in that tablecloth box.
1: Just number one above number one above the line. It's really simple. Put it in the in the box. You're done. Um, but you, you know, we're leaving it to people if they want to vote you know, elsewhere, number two, three, whatever, that's up to them. But um, we are asking them to vote number one above the line for for public education party, yes.
0: What about then in the lower house?
1: Uh, In the lower house, in the Legislative Assembly, we have eight candidates um, and some of them are out in the country. So we've got Northern Tablelands, we've got Barwon, we've got Wagga we've got orange. Now Wagga
0: uh, is a real uh problem area for education so that that would be a very strong vote wouldn't it for the for the public education party there. I think there. so.
1: I think so and what well, we're hoping so. <laughs> um yeah. and uh and obviously a, a lot of um, parents and community members are looking, you know, at what's been happening in the country with you know some of the the schools that have been amalgamated, etc., that have not been successful. You know, there's been enrolment flight to the private system. So, um, yep. yes, yes, um, those country areas are, are very important to us, and we've got yeah. Again, we've got candidates who are educators uh, in those those areas.
0: Yep. Um, so that's ma- in the lower house. You've got mainly regional areas. Would that be right uh, to say?
1: We've got four regional areas and four. Um, Metropolitan areas, yes. So, we've in the in the country, yeah, we've got Murray, Orange, Wagga, Northern T- Tablelands, and Barwon. And then in uh, Metro Sydney, we have Balmain, Bankstown, and Fairfield.
0: Okay, so Balmain, Bankstown, and Fairfield, or all of all of those you think would be very highly considerate of public education. So, again, um, that would be a matter of just putting their candidate, public education candidate, as number one.
1: That's right. Yes, just one above the line. Um, Okay. yeah. Yeah.
0: Now, for those listeners from Queensland, from interstate... Uh, from all the other states in Australia. Uh, the Public Education Party will be going to other states for uh, their state elections in the future. Would that be right, Cheryl?
1: Look, that's that's a dream and a vision. Um, we, you know, we, we've only really, um, I mean, we've been operating as um, as a, an entity, if you like, for about three years um, to get ourselves to this stage where we've got registration, et cetera, in New South Wales. Um, if we are successful, of course, we would love to spread across the country. I mean, it seems absolutely incongruous to us, even from an economic point of view, that we don't see public education as as the foundation for, you know, productivity, you know, future contributing citizens, etc. It's in everyone's interest to have our children well educated.
0: Now, a couple of questions from listeners. Um, This is a very detailed one, and this really does (laughs) affect all of the country. Would the Public Education Party want to continue with the current full control that NESA has? Now, NESA, New South Wales Education Standards Authority. Uh, But NESA now has full control over teacher accreditation, professional development, and the certification of university courses. It's a pretty big um responsibility. Now, to put those in the hands of one organisation, NESA, which I've got I've got to be honest with you, Cheryl, has we, we haven't had positive comments about NESA. Um, would what would you continue with that or would there be an alternative?
1: We're probably not opposed to NESA, providing the people that are in control of it are actually well qualified. Um so Uh, it has to have some responsibility, obviously, and it has to have some accountability. And it has to be controlled by practising educators. And there has to be the proportion um, uh, allocated to the public education system, because we still educate the the vast number of children. And frankly, we educate the greater variety of children.
0: Yeah, yeah. The comment has been that, that Ness has been taken over by... Uh, ideologues who who push certain viewpoints um, and that um, you know the 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 diversity statements that that nessa puts out and the department actually puts out you think wow and people don't vote for this sort of stuff but they suddenly find that oh yes this is important and there's certain ideologues who push their point of view um, and that's certainly getting on the goat of some absolutely. teachers
1: absolutely absolutely
0: does the Public Education Party believe that critical race theory, gender theory and queer theory should be taught in New South Wales schools?
1: Uh, it's not an easy question to answer because we actually do teach aspects of those theories already and have done for years. So if you think back to you know, uh, a document called The Values We Teach, um, they were about you know, respectful relationships um, honesty et cetera et cetera so um we we do teach those things, but not under that umbrella and not to the extreme but for some of these other areas um you know they are the domain of of family uh and i think a, I think a you know a quality educator you know if a child you know had some real questions about you know their 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 gender their sexuality et etc the, the the quality teacher would Either ring the parent and say, Look, you know, your child's asking these questions or, you know, go home and ask mum and dad about that. So
0: This is this is an issue and I, I guess it's following on from World Pride month in in you know, in Sydney.
1: Yeah. Well I don't think it's up to a teacher to give their individual as it is in, you know, even talking about politics or anything else, it's not a, not appropriate for a teacher to give their individual bias, you know, or, or opinion in that in the classroom. That's that's um, that's crossing a line that should not be crossed.
0: Now, this is another question from a listener: Is the public education party content with the New South Wales Department of Education bureaucracy and their oversight of New South Wales schools? Now, gee whiz, that's a biggie. Um, you don't have to answer that, Cheryl. But uh...
1: I'm I'm actually okay with answering that because I don't work for them anymore. If I still worked for them, they'd hit me around the head with the code of conduct in five seconds flat. Um, and which is which is actually restricting our our, um, our number one candidate, Khalil Kay, um, from speaking. I think it's absolutely appalling, you know, that he is suppressed uh from, from making commentary about any any not just this issue but many others and um yeah so i'm i'm very happy to uh, be able to speak openly um so do are uh, are teachers generally content with the bureaucracy um i think there are some people that they have a level of respect for and i think there are a, a lot that they don't um and i think the general feeling of the of the um of the teaching profession is that We want to be led by quality educators who have experience and knowledge, um, of how to increase children's learning outcomes. We do not necessarily, um, there is a place for the, for the bean counters and the, you know, the, the finance people who respond to treasury. Yes, there's a place for them, but not in, not in the top leadership roles of the Department of Education. No, we want somebody who has knowledge, understanding, and is absolutely determined that our children will do better. And, and of course, um, frankly, uh, we'd love them to advocate for resourcing in areas that, that we've just spoken about. And, uh, and, again, I go back to the golden era where we had, um, uh, what were they then, Directors-General, um, who were not tied by contract, um, who were not necessarily um, persuaded by partisan politics, but would stand up for the profession and stand up for children in public education. We've lost that. We've lost that, and that really, really is biting.
0: Well, standing up for public education rather than following an ideology, public education and student outcomes have got to be at the forefront.
1: Absolutely. So, why is our general secretary? Why does she not have? And and the deputy general secretary? Why is there not, you know, KPIs based around children's learning outcomes? Yeah ridiculous yeah absolutely ridiculous yeah yeah
0: Yeah. and why has the 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 person who wrote the behavior policy never spent a a minute in front of a class
1: and helped help to contribute to some of those restrictive practices help contribute to um the denigration of of behavior in, in some schools and the inability of a teacher um who now feels like they can't intervene in a safety issue to prevent a child hurting another child or hurting the teacher um, or, or, you know, or demolishing property. Um, In days gone by. You know, we were taught how to um, restrain a child without hurting them and I think that was entirely appropriate. Um, A child should not be allowed to hit another child and hurt them.
2: No,
0: nor, nor nor hit a teacher.
1: And nor hit a teacher. Mind you, kindergarten, first week, never ever not had bruises
0: look just and and here's something that i heard on the grapevine the other day that there is a a class action being considered with school principals against the department of education because of their physical injuries now that's a biggie
1: that is a biggie, um, and it'll be interesting to see how they go. Yeah, uh, very interesting.
0: Now, I mean, we we t- touched on uh, teacher salaries before, but I had an email saying, okay, well, it's fine to, to say, oh yes, we'll increase teacher salaries, but but you would actually push for more money so that this could happen. I'm not across how this would be done. But is that the sort of thing that you'd do?
1: Yes, you would have to, um, you know, um, access um, officials from Treasury uh, and just say, okay, you know, what, what, what's possible? You know, what can you free up? And, um, you know, let's face it, at this stage of, the, of an election, there's money being promised left, right and centre for things that are not necessarily, um, you know, the foundation of getting better learning outcomes for kids. So why would you not take, you know, some money out of some of those, those projects and, and make sure that, that our, our profession, our very honourable profession, is well remunerated so that we have excellent outcomes for kids?
0: Yeah. Finally, Cheryl, uh, what is your main message to the voters of New South Wales?
1: Well, um, our main message would be that we are looking for a better future for our children, um, that our children deserve a fair go, um, and that is beyond time that we've made sure that there were sufficient resources to support a world-class public education system.
0: Well, there you have it, Cheryl McBride from the Public Education Party, um, a small party that's trying to make big inroads into the New South Wales state election happening in about uh, six days' time. Um, And, you know, this could well be the election where the smaller parties, the minor parties, really do get to have a say. It's been said that Mark Latham and One Nation have been the the kingmakers over the last... um, in couple of years, well, there's more than just that party around now, public education party, um, very much straight talkers. And I think that they would be doing a great job, really, for education uh, and for New South Wales generally. <music> You've been listening to Marking the Role, a podcast for uh, teachers, for educators generally, Uh, We're based in Australia, but really for educators all over the world. Uh, And if you would like to make a donation to Marking the Role, because we're all run by volunteers and we do have expenses, uh, you can go to Substack and just search for Marking the Role, R-O-L-E. There you'll find our Substack presence. Um, and you can become a subscriber or make a donation via Substack. You can also go to markingtheroll.com.au and click on the little yellow coffee, coffee cup, and you can make a donation that way. And don't worry if you subscribe or make a donation or even become a free subscriber. We don't say your name on the podcast or anywhere. So um, your anonymity is fully safe with us. My name's Phil Dye. Thank you for listening. I'll see you again soon. And that was my dog sausage just made that
2: noise.